One thing I want to say before we get started about our, our series we're currently doing, um, just, I just want to be really clear about something before we go any further about it. And that's that the series we've been doing in regards to spiritual transformation. We've been talking about that, you know, and, and we've talked about different graphic images, you know, talking about um, word pictures that we've used to try and help us hang concepts on and think about application, have it go with us and all. Well, one of, those, one of the things I just want to make clear about, and I wanted to, to make a distinction of, is that, is that, that those messages as of late and today's message really only apply to people who've made a decision to, to believe the claims of Christ. That, and his claims were that eternal life and forgiveness of sin only comes through him. If, if someone has never made that decision um, to, to believe Christ and to act on that belief, to act on his claims, then this current series we're in really is, is um, interesting information. It's still truth, but it's not truth that applies until one has made a decision to place their faith in Christ. You know, the Bible teaches that there are two spiritual conditions. And actually, I guess real life is the same way, isn't it? You know, you're either dead or alive. You know, in, in physical life, you can be, you know, as Billy Crystal said in Princess Bride, he's only partially dead, you know? Well, in, in real life, you can, you, can, you can be on life support, but you're still alive. And very often, people can be on life support and they come back to full life and very vibrant life. But you can never, you know, only in Princess Bride can you be partially dead. Mostly dead, thank you very much. You know what, you guys are so on top of that stuff. You know, and I'm, and I'm never going to talk about Lord of the Rings ever again either. Yeah, yeah, mostly dead. You, you know, only in Princess Bride can you be mostly dead, you know. Because in real life and in spiritual life, you're either alive or you're dead. You're either alive or you're dead. You know, uh, Scripture teaches that Paul says that, you know, when one believes in Christ for the first time, he goes from death to life, from darkness to light. You know, and and Scripture teaches that we are born dead in our sins. But spiritually, we come to life when we believe that Jesus taught about himself. We come to life when when we believe that, when we understand that, when we guess those concepts. So, that he came to die and pay this penalty for sin for all mankind, that's what he, that's what he taught. Um, and that one only needs to be earnest and honestly believe that to be saved. To admit that they have a need for a Savior and the fact that they're sinners, God says that that's all I require of anyone to be saved. That there is nothing more that you do except for to believe. And that moves you from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. And so that's a big deal when, you, when we talk about growing spiritually, when we talk about change that lasts and it comes from the inside out. That kind of change it really doesn't, it is hard to do spiritually apart from Christ. And so I just want to make that distinction and, and, and just say that anyone that has never made that decision for Christ, anyone that has never uh, understood that freedom, and, you know, I just want to say also, and you've heard me say it many times, and, you know, and, and here we go again. You guys are probably going, here he goes with the line again. On this side of the line, it costs you nothing. It costs nothing. It costs nothing to believe in Christ. 
to receive forgiveness of sin, to, to be able to begin to deal with your guilt and your shame of your sin. But once you believe in Christ, it costs you everything to step across that line. He, that's what he's, when he says to pick up your cross daily and carry it, he is saying that you, I purchased you with the most expensive commodity known to the universe when the blood of Christ was spilled for you. There's nothing more costly. And it costs you everything to step across that line. It costs you everything to be over here. That line is free. That line, death, life. Dark, light. Unforgiven, forgiven. Cost nothing, cost everything. And what we're talking about in this current series is that now that we're on this side of the line, when we're, now that we claim to be Christians, now that we say that we follow Christ, what does it mean to change from the inside out? What does it mean to follow Him? What does it mean to, to be becoming like Jesus? Because that is our goal. Our goal is to give Him honor and glory by becoming like His Son. So, this morning, I really want to make that clear. And so, um, I, I'm encouraging you that if you've never understood that distinction, if you've never made that decision to quit trying to be good enough, if you've made it, never made the decision that you only have to believe in Christ for salvation, if you've never understood that and done that, do that today. You remember last week I, I, I worked with a quote, or maybe two weeks ago I worked with a quote, and, and the gist of it was that the decision you're making right now is the most important decision of your life. The decision to trust Christ is not the most important decision of your life. It is the most important decision of your eternity. Because placing your faith in Him and believing in Him determines your eternal destiny. That is the most important decision anyone will ever make. And I would encourage you, if you've never done that, to do it today. Come up afterwards. Talk to me. Say, walk me through it. Prove it. Show it to me. Myself, I'll do it for you. Some other folks here would do it for you. A lot of people would do it for you. But deal with that today, all right? Okay. So, we've been talking about transformation this summer. And we've talked about how the Bible in our life, you know, we've talked about a couple of different concepts. You know, we've used some, some images to try and, um, and, like I said, word pictures to try and, and remember what we're learning. And one of them was, you know, using the Bible in a way that it really does bring about change. You know, because when you use the tools the wrong way, they don't really work very well. We talked about that two weeks ago. And then last week we talked about setting aside things of little value so that we could grasp things of great value. In essence, really, so we could grasp things of eternal value and how we hang on to beads and baubles and things that are worthless. You know, the other day I was in the store and I was looking for something for camp for Telhai this week and I saw a string of those and I think there were like 10 of them and they were $2 for 10 of them. They're pretty worthless. And even that's with the markup. Who knows what they cost to do, you know? Very little. They're worthless. And yet so much of the stuff that we hang on to in this life are as worthless as those beads compared to eternity and compared to God's word. All right? And so last week, we talked about taking every thought captive. We talked about worldviews and thoughts 
and, and mindsets that set themselves up against obedience to Christ. And I have to tell you, like um, this week in our um, True You class, you know, again, it's addressing mindsets and worldviews. But I also want to re- refer you to another resource if you want a great lesson in worldview and, and, and uh, mindsets. And, um, and it's, it's um, the thing I like about the True You series, it's very respectful. Um, Dr. Dr. Myers, Stephen Myers, he, he differs with a variety of other authorities, quote-unquote, other scientists and all. He, he's, he, he disagrees with them, but he does so in a very respectful way, which is what I think we as believers ought to be. Um, the other resource is not as respectful. It's a little snarky, you know, and all. And that's um, uh, ben, ben Stein, yeah, Ben Stein's um, Expelled movie that came out a few years ago. But in that Expelled movie, about probably about 60 minutes into it, it's an hour and a half long, about 60 minutes into it, there's about a 15-minute section that is an outstanding explanation of worldview, mindsets, um, of, of the way that people think and see the world and understand the world in such a way that it, it, if you're just trying to grasp, like, what does it mean to have a worldview? What kind of mindsets and philosophies are we talking about here? He has a great segment in that movie, and, and you, can, you can buy those pretty inexpensively now and get them around or, or download it or watch it on demand or something like that. But it's really good resource if you're looking for that. Anyway, so last week we were talking about mindsets and worldviews and thoughts that set themselves up against obedience to Christ. And we talked about eight principles, and I sent those out to you this week in, in one of my emails and all. And then we had a graphic image for that as well, if you remember. You know, it's this right here. There you go. <laughs> Where we were talking about what does it mean to take something captive? It means that you hold it unable to act. That, we, that you, it's, you know, um, Evan was delightful in those few moments right there. He, I've enjoyed him more in those moments than I've ever done before, you know. And, and we, matter of fact, we're taking that to camp this week, you know. And so, and so, but in that, you know, that is taking a young man captive. He was held hostage to that device, and he could not move or do what he wanted. Matter of fact, he was the victim, or he was at, at you know, anyone could do anything they wanted to him. And so when we talk about holding every thought captive out of 2 Corinthians, that's what we're talking about, that, that those things do not overpower us, but we control them. So, but for today, I want to talk about something different here. Today, um, think about this. Can you relate to any of these scenarios? You know, we just did the um, Financial Peace series here at Crossing, and so you know, there's uh, several of us who are working on budgeting. And so you're working on your budget. You're trying to get the uh, income to match the expenses. And then all of a sudden, like, your car has major issues, right? Or, like, you know, you find out that you went a trip to the ER, right? Yeah. Or that you find out you have a leak in the upstairs bathroom when the toilet lines downstairs in the living room, you know. When all those kind of unexpected things happen... You know, all of a sudden, your budget really doesn't matter anymore. It, 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 you know, you thought you were making good progress, and then all of a sudden, life happens, and your budget, it doesn't work anymore. How about, like, you begin running? You know, I ran with Larry Newman for about a year. I gave up on that. Um, but, you know, you start running, and you get a little distance, and you're kind of doing okay, and you're not suffocating and gasping for breath, and you think, I can do this, and then all of a sudden, you have, like, a foot injury or shin splints, and all of a sudden, you have a setback, you know. Things aren't what you thought they'd be. All right, let's say that you struggle with chronic illness. Several of people in our room and our body do. 
and, and you feel like you're making progress, then all of a sudden things just start to go backwards. You have a bad reaction to medication. Your medication doesn't work anymore. And, and so you have a setback, you know. Let's say that you're, you're dieting and you're doing great, but you go to this picnic where they have the world's best, chi- you know, fried chicken. Well, that's a setback. You can't resist that. That's just impossible. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, uh, let's say that you're on your way to vacation and you think you're making great time, and then you find out that you're going south on 95 instead of north on 95. <laughs> Actually, I can speak about that from experience on the turnpike. <laughs> You've had a major setback, right? You know what I mean? All of a sudden, you thought you were doing well, and you're a place where I'm not doing well anymore. Matter of fact, now I have to go back and make up. Well, what about for spiritual growth? Have you ever had a time when you thought that like your, 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 your time in the Word was alive? That like you were seeing God do stuff in your life and, and it was exciting. And then all of a sudden you feel stalled. Then all of a sudden you're reading your Bible and you're like going, what did I just read? Been there, done that? Yeah. You're, then all of a sudden you feel like you're not really sensing God's movement in your life. You're just at this spiritual plateau or you're going backwards. Sometimes you don't always know what it is that maybe brought you to that place, but it happens. And it's not uncommon because following Christ is not an easy thing. Because what I said a moment ago about that when you step into the spiritual dynamic of following Christ, he's asking you for everything. And, 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 I don't, and he knows it's not easy to follow him. Because how many times, especially like in the book of John when we did our, our study on John, you know, there were, there were young men or young men, young men in, that, in the book of John that came up and, 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 and they would say, I'll follow you. And in Luke, I believe, it, you know, there are three different times he goes, great, I have no home to sleep in. Are you willing to do that? And another one says, I'll follow you. And, and, and he says, well, um, you know, well then, but I'm going to go home and say bye to my folks. He goes, no. And the, the rich young ruler came and says, I'll follow you. And he goes, well, then sell everything you have. In other words, in every case, he was not so much making the object the cost of discipleship. He was making the attachment, the way that our heart attaches to things and people and ourselves. And so, and so what he's saying is, is that that attachment we have to stuff, we have to let loose of. And following Christ is not easy. And what we do, we're like, the, we're like uh, you know, a little guy, you know, in his first year of, of, of a little league, and he's been watching, well, he hadn't been watching the Phillies yet lately. Let's say that he's been watching the Braves, maybe. And, and, he's, and he's seeing a guy hit the ball. And he's like going, that dude, he hits so many home runs. Every time he gets up, he makes something happen. I want to be like him. And so, you know, it's not uncommon if you ever had a child play softball or baseball. Every time they get up, they want to hit. And you say to them, you know, and they'll say, well, a 300 batting average is great. And you go, do you know what that means? <laughs> it means that they only hit the ball three times out of ten. But as a child, they get up and they want to hit that ball every time, every time, every time, every time. And we're the same way with our spiritual growth, aren't we? We don't want setbacks. We don't want failure. We want to bat 1,000 all the time. And to think that we're going to bat 300 or 200 is really out of the question. It's really disappointing to think that might be our reality. 
And how we deal with that reality is really important. How we understand that reality is really important. But sin, failure, setbacks in our spiritual growth are reality. For instance, you know, if you want to flip over your Bible, we're going to look at several different passages today. We're not going to to camp in any one. If you want to flip over to Romans 7, and you probably knew that's where we were going to start today anyway. Romans 7, Paul talks his own spiritual battle there. And I I just want you to read it. I want you to have it in your head. I want you to be familiar with it as we have this, this discussion today. But Paul talks about his own spiritual battle in Romans 7. And so you can start like in verse um, 15. I think it would be a good place to start. And uh, I'm reading from the New New American Standard, but follow along whatever version you have there. And Paul writes here and he says, he says, for that which I am doing, I do not understand. That which I'm doing, I don't understand why I'm doing it, he says. For I am not practicing what I would like to do. There you go. I'm not batting a thousand, he's saying. I'm only batting 200 or whatever. But I'm doing the very thing I hate. I'm striking out, he says. But if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good. So now, no longer am I, do one, am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Do you hear him? Do you hear him talking about his struggle? For the good that I wish I do, for the good that I wish I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I am doing the very thing I do not wish, I am not, I am not, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then that the principle that evil is present in me and the one who wishes to do good. For I am, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man am I, who will set me free from this body of death? Now, you might not have ever said it that way. You probably maybe have never even said it in a way that we could say it in public. But I bet you've felt that way. Haven't you? In my own life, and I've shared this about it, but, you know, May of 1981, May of 1982, sitting on the side of my bed reading the Bible, and it was nothing. It was stale. It was flat. And, and saying, like, I'm not living this very well. Matter of fact, I'm not living this at all. And taking it and saying, I am so confused and frustrated and disillusioned with what it means to follow Christ, that if I cannot do it any better than I'm doing it, I won't claim it. And so that morning in May, I closed my Bible. I sat on that nightstand on my bed, and it stayed there for three years. Now, I want to be really clear with you. In those three years, I read my Bible a dozen times, a couple dozen times. I went to church a couple of times, maybe three times, maybe four times, I don't know. But I never once... I never once lost my salvation. And if you're in that similar place here today, and you have made a profession of faith sometime in your past, but you're stalled out, or even in active rebellion today, you have not lost your salvation. 
Because God says, that which is in the palm of my hand, no one can take it out. He saved us. We didn't save ourselves. And so we can't unsave ourselves. And he says, I will never turn my back on you. And so even if you're in open rebellion to me, even if you're in open disobedience to me, you're still mine. And so I can tell you, I can point out, I can just, I mean, so vividly, one of the most vivid memories I have is leaving work at 5 o'clock one day at the newspaper where I was working and pulling up to the driveway and looking each way to make sure there's no cars coming. And in that moment, I just thought, I just had one of those things, just one of those moments. And it was like, I'm going to call you home someday. I'm going to call you to come back and deal with me someday. And I thought, I know you will. And I pulled out, and I went my own way. But see, in the course of that three years, I knew he was still dealing with me. I knew I was still his. I knew that I would have to answer to him sometime or another. I was stalled out. I was plateaued in my spiritual growth, but I was still saved. A lot of people don't believe that. A lot of people don't teach that. I I think that you can go to the Scripture and find that Scripture teaches that. If you want to talk about that, we can talk about that too, all right? So, Paul's talking about a similar struggle, except for it doesn't appear that he walked away. It doesn't appear that he set his Bible aside or his Torah aside or, you know, that he, on the side of his nightstand back there in the first century. It doesn't sound like he did that, but he definitely had that struggle where he was working through what it meant to follow Christ and follow Christ with integrity. That's, it sounds like that. And so, you know, I do not understand what I do. And so there are days. No, they're not days. Every day I do something. And after I've done it, I thought, why did I do that? Every day I say something. And I go, why did I say that? I mean, you got to know, even as an elder, as your pastor, a good meeting for me is one that I don't have to go back and apologize for. And all the elders say amen. (laughs) Yeah. You've been in meetings with me like that. It's like just, it's just that 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 is in us, it is there and it is powerful. And if you are not on top of it every minute, it is going to crawl out and make itself known. And you'll find yourself saying, doing, thinking, looking at things. You're going, why did I do that? It is there. It is there. So, but, so Paul, this whole struggle of Paul's was real. Peter had a struggle with his own flesh, with doing things right. Paul confronted him. We know about that in Acts. Um, Mark, Mark was considered a quitter. And Paul wouldn't take him on missionary journeys with him. He turned him away and said, I will not let him come with me. The dude's a loser. He said it probably in Aramaic, but, you know, that's what he meant. (laughs) The dude's a loser. He's not coming with me. As a matter of fact, open up your Bibles to Hebrews 11. You know, and Hebrews 11 is this chapter where where the, the author, where God says, write this and say this about these people. And so in Hebrews 11, you go in there and this these heroes of faith. And when you go through these heroes of faith, what you find here is every single one of them had setbacks, had failures, did it wrong, didn't do it right. They were never batting a thousand. 
Abraham and Sarah. Sarah was really unfaithful. She was not an avid believer. She laughed at God's promises. Abraham was a, a, a liar and couldn't get around it. And he passed that on to Isaac and he passed that on to Jacob. Joseph, I think, personally had a little issue with ego and it got him sold into slavery by his brothers. Moses struck the rock and didn't get to go and see the ultimate prize. And you can go all the way through this list and you can continue to find. You know, David is considered the man after God's own heart. He didn't say that about anybody else. But David was a murderer, an adulterer, a liar, a really pitiful, terrible, horrible father. And yet, he was considered the man after God's own heart. How? That in itself should give us some encouragement. That in itself should give us a little bit of, oh, man. So, this morning, I want us to experience some of that hope, and I want us to experience some of that encouragement in our walk with the Lord, and as we think about transformation, and perhaps how we're not transforming very much, or perhaps how we wish we were further along. I often will look at my life and I can say that I really began to grow as a Christian. I, was, I, I, I know that I was saved. I know without a doubt in my life, and my, uh, I know without a doubt that I was saved in December of my sixth grade year. I mean, I have no doubt about that. I was never discipled until my 11th grade year. And I would say that it was in my 11th grade year that I began to understand what it meant to follow Christ. And so in the summer of 77 is the first time I began to understand what it meant to follow Christ. And I'll look back and I'll go, 77? I've been doing this a long time. Shouldn't I be doing better? And I can get pretty disappointed at myself. And perhaps you can too. But this morning, I want us to, you know, to think about this. And, and, you know, and I want us to get away from maybe this is not the way we should all feel, you know. Failure. If at first you don't succeed, failure may be your style. Well, that's not how we need to feel about our spiritual life. That's not how we need to feel about our walk with Christ. And instead, what I think we need to understand is, is a better verse to look at, or a better little thing, is, is, is Philippians 1.6. Is that, you know, being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion to the day of Jesus Christ. You know, the little demotivator poster? That's how we feel sometimes. But when we talk about taking that thought captive to the obedience of Christ, this is the thought that does it. This passage right here takes that demotivator poster, this thought right here takes that and puts it in the stocks and says, that's not true. That's not true, and you can't have power and influence over this mind because this is true. Being confident of this. So, probably, even while I'm up here or five minutes after the service, there'll be something I think or say or do that I'll think, whew, and I'll need to remind myself of that. He is going to finish this. He started this in me. He regenerated me. He brought me from death to life. He gave me forgiveness of sins. So he did that. He started it. He'll finish it. That's a hopeful verse. 
That's, and that's a powerful verse. We could spend the whole service looking at that, but I want to go on further, and, and I want to look at another one. Lamentations 3, 22, through 20, 22 and 23. This is another one where you know, people know it, but think about the power of it. This verse is truth that we use to counterbalance falsehood. Here, because he says, the faithful love of God, the faithful love of Yahweh never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. So in other words, you know, one of the things I have in my pride is this. Sometimes I get tired of having to apologize. Sometimes I get tired of having to say, you're right. Let me just summarize it by this and say, I get tired of asking for directions. Uh, every man in the house, you didn't shake your head because you know I'm right. Yes, right. Because that's the issue I'm talking about. That issue of asking for directions, that issue of humbling myself and saying I was wrong again. I got to tell you, there have been many times when I've been wrong before the Lord and I've thought, I don't want to have to go and face him again. <laughs> you know, like he doesn't already know about it, like we're already together, you know. But it's like that humility to say, I'm wrong again, and I'm sorry, Lord, and I need to confess it and ask for your forgiveness. Man, why is it those words seem so hard to articulate for us sometimes? Sometimes it's like I just feel like I can't do it again. I mean, when, you know, do you ever feel like how could he forgive me one more time? Do you ever feel like he could not forgive me for this, for this one? I've just done it too many times. And yet this verse here says that great is his faithfulness. That faithful right there, that, right there, that faithfulness is, is chesed, which is the covenant love of God, which means that I've made a covenant with you that I will never break, that I will always be faithful to you, that I will never undo he says here, I, I love you with a faithfulness that I can never undo. And because of that, my mercy is fresh every morning. That does not mean that you have a daily allotment of mercy. In other words, what he's conveying is that it never runs out. It's inexhaustible, his mercy, his forgiveness. It is inexhaustible. That's the, that's the image, that's the, 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 uh, the message he's trying to get across to us. And see, we could look at other passages from other perspectives. We could come to a place in our life when we feel that we have done so much and too much that we cannot be forgiven anymore, that we've struck out too many times, that we've had too many failures. And in that, we could convince ourselves that we just can't go to God one more time. We, I told you I've struggled with that. But there's another passage that even Paul, I want you to go back to Romans. I want you to go back to chapter 7 because I didn't finish that passage. Perhaps you read ahead. Some of you are like that. You're really, you know, top-notch students. You're always reading ahead. But in Romans 7, Paul finishes that in verse 25 and goes into verse, in chapter 8, verse 1. So when we are at that place where we are totally, totally overwhelmed with our sin, our, again, another failure. He says this, verse 25, chapter 7, Thanks be to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So then on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God, and on the other hand, with the flesh, the law of sin. And then he says this, when we failed all these times, we begin to feel like we can't 
that we've outed ourselves, that we are no good any longer, that we're condemned, that we have, we have to make it up somehow or another. And he just says this, chapter 8, verse 1, he says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, catch this. Listen up. Pay attention. Take notes. Write it on your arm. Write it on your friend's arm. Just make sure you get this. Because what he's saying is this. Is that it doesn't matter, Christian, how many times you screwed up. It doesn't matter how many days you missed in your devotional. It doesn't matter if you told your wife she's a sow or you told your husband he's a pig. It doesn't matter. Because there's no condemnation for you. Regardless of what you've done, there's no condemnation for you. Now, there are consequences. Absolutely. Because you're sleeping on the couch tonight if you called her a sow. There are consequences relationally. But between you and the Lord, there's no condemnation. You are still his. You are still saved. You are still in the palm of his hand. There is no condemnation. And so here's Paul in chapter 7 saying, I am struggling and every day I do what I don't want to do and the things I need to do I don't do. And then he says, but there's no condemnation for me. And there's none for you either. If you know Christ as your personal Savior, if you are in Christ Jesus, no condemnation. Now then, we've talked about, Bob, you want to load those for me? We've talked about trying to give ourselves images, trying to give ourselves things we hang truths on so that we walk away with them and we say, oh, I remember this. That, that was, you know, that preacher talked about this because you see an image. Not that you're going to see stocks a whole lot. I mean, you might not remember that one. When you see Evan, you'll think about that. But I, I've got a couple of videos today that I want to use these as that image of um, remembering these concepts. All right? So the very first one is a, an Olympic memory that many of us will, will, will remember. Well, this half of the room wasn't even born yet. This half of the room might not remember it because you're too old. But, you know, that's why they put it on video. You ready? Okay, go ahead. Play that for me, all right? At number 28, an Olympic image that if you watched it at the time, Barcelona 1992, will live with you forever. Derek Redmond, the best form he's shown since he broke the British record. Cuban Hernandez has got uh, Redmond to aim at, and so too in lane number three is Steve Lewis. But Redmond's got off very fast indeed, and so too is Ismail of Qatar. Down the back straight, he's the fractional leader. Bardo of Nigeria has gone very quickly, and Redmond has broken down. He's on the track, kneeling down, and Derek Redmond, on his injury problem, the jinx has struck again. Philippians 4. 
Father, we come and we confess that we struggle with our 